Good morning, Coastal Church. Great to see you. Man, go Coastal. Here we go. Get your Bible out. If you want to turn somewhere, turn to Romans 1. I'm going to multitask right here at the beginning. Got a lot to cover. Get your bulletin out, all right? Um, there is, should be a small note card like this in your grow booklet. Get that out. Have that nearby. There are. There should be on your bulletin three post-it notes, all right? Hold those off to the side. I'm going to conclude with those, all right? So hang those, and, uh, and then you can get your Bible out and turn to Romans 1. We're going to jump around a little bit this morning, but that's where we're going to start. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in a chair in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take that one with you, okay? We'd love for you to have a copy of the Word of God. While we're kind of multitasking, getting all our stuff out, take notes, I want to make three, kind of do some bit church business, family business, all right? One is a little bit of vision. And I uh, try to do this a couple times a year, and, uh, and I want to talk a little bit about our building for just a minute that God has blessed us with. God's given Coastal Community Church a fantastic location, and, uh, and so it, on uh, the right side, my right, your left side of the auditorium, on that side of the wall over there, we have about 20, 25,000 square feet that we didn't build out when we moved in here. And, uh, and so what we've been doing is as you guys donate over and above your regular giving, we've been building that out in cash, okay? And so as the cash comes in, we build out, right? And so, uh, so last year, beginning of 2018, I laid a little bit of a vision. I said, hey, I wanna, we wanted to do the student space, which is blue. We wanted to finish that. We wanted to kind of get a, a, a recreational space in the basketball court, and we wanted to do eight HVAC so that we could just get the whole area conditioned, all right? So we have heat and cool, and that would include the common space or the yellow area. And I thought it was going to take about 300,000-ish, okay? Uh, it looks like we're going to be able to finish the project at about uh, 200,000, okay? So that's really, really awesome. And... Um, and so Mark Thompson, I, I didn't see him in the first service, but he, um, he was generous enough to donate some of his engineering and helped us reduce that cost, especially around the HVAC system. Okay, so go ahead and show the next slide. And, and so we finished the student space. Isn't that great news? You can see uh, uh, that, that new space, which is really multi-use. It's used mostly by the students right now. Um, We've been able to use it for we are Women of Coastal. We used it for We Are Coastal last night. Friday night, we had like 135 guys uh, play cornhole, and we were able to use it for that. And uh, man, the cornhole tournament, 135 guys, which is, I don't know what, like about 70 teams, right? And out of that 70 teams emerged one winner, me and my son. Okay, so yes. And I told you I'd see you in the finals. Next week we're going to preach on humility, um, but that's next week. So, um, and so that's where we are. And I just want to let you know, I, we've extended a little bit of credit to kind of get the project done. And over the summer, the giving kind of dipped on the building fund. And so, you know, we probably need to raise about 30000 between now and the end of the year, over and above our regular giving, to finish this project. So I wanted to lay it before you. We're really close. Let's punch it over the goal line this year. And, uh, and so if you'd like to give to that project, just like in the memo of your check or when you go online, if you give online, you can pull down the menu and give to the building fund. And please, please, please don't say, well, I won't give to general and give the building. That's just robbing Peter to pay Paul, literally. So this is kind of an over and above ask, which people have been doing, and I want you to consider that. Let's finish that. And then what I'm going to do in 2019 is I'm going to, lit in January, is I'll lay the 2019 vision in front of us. Say, hey, if the cash comes in, here's what we'll plan on doing in 2019. And I'm really excited about 2019, okay? So, uh, so let's finish that, and then we'll talk about next year. Good stuff, right, Coastal? Great job. Thank you for your generosity. 
Uh, man, really excited about that. Second thing I want to bring to your attention is small groups, okay? So everybody get your small group book out. That's this right here, all right? We are now starting an eight-week series called Go Coastal, and, uh, and during this eight-week series, we're asking every single person that calls this your church home to be in a small group. If you're not in a small group, you're really, really missing an essential part of our discipleship process at Coastal or what it means to grow to be more like Christ, okay? And so in in this booklet, we have listed, I think, 20 or 30 small groups that are available uh, that have space. And so I really, if you're not in one, pick one out that kind of fits your time and, uh, and join up, okay? And the way you can let us know you're coming is you can use the tear-off on the bottom of the Connect card, the bottom of the bulletin, put that in the baskets on the way out, let us know you're coming. I did, I forgot to say this first service, I'll say it now. We do child care reimbursement. So if you're a young family, children, uh, or, you know, have, how do I take care of my kids? in the evening. We ask you to bring in a babysitter into your house, and then we reimburse you to pay the babysitter. We want to overcome that obstacle, so money shouldn't be an issue. Child care shouldn't be an issue. Uh, we really, really, really want you to be in a small group, and your small group will talk to you about how you can get child care reimbursement. Good? All right, so be in a small group. It starts this week. I want you to get in one, okay? And then finally, whenever we do these series, we like to offer a book, okay? And so we actually have a little bookstore going over here. There's books all throughout the, uh, every week that you can purchase. They're uh, picked by the pastoral staff and things that we would encourage you to read. And so the one we want to offer with this series is called Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God by J.I. Packer. Small book, quick read, really, really impactful book. Had a deep, deep impact in my my life uh, in the area of evangelism. Unfortunately, we couldn't get a group or a bulk rate on them, so they're $15 a book. And uh, truthfully, we're probably pretty close to selling out, but we'll get more next week. But go, run out there after, not now, after the service, okay? And, and go ahead and get that. Now get your sermon notes out. We're going to jump in this morning, and um, we're going to talk about this thing called evangelism. I'm preaching to believers this morning. So if you're not yet a Christian, uh, you're investigating the claims of Christ this morning, I welcome you. I'm glad you're here. Uh, but I want to talk to us that call ourselves Christians, right? And we're talking about evangelism. I'm going to define evangelism a little later in the sermon. And so my opening story this morning is risky, and uh, it's possible that I'll get fired afterwards, okay? But uh, so here we go. You're like, yes, what is it? Okay, so here we go. I, uh, I remember a couple years ago, I was sick, and I, I'm not a good sick person. I you know, if I, if I get like a runny nose, I can't get out of bed, you know, kind of thing. Like I take the week off, calling in sick. I'm just not a good sick person. But uh, I remember on this particular time, I, ha I had nausea. Man, I was nauseous for days and I was just miserable. And, and, and by the way, let me, a side note, this is a side note. Um, you women, when you get pregnant and you're in the first trimester and you're nauseous, like, it's unbelievable to me that you persevere. Unbelievable. I'm just telling you, women are tougher than men. And, and, and this is true, what I'm about to say. I mean, it's not biblically true. I just think it's true. Okay? And so, uh, like, if God had given childbirth to men, no family would have more than one child, right? We would be like, we're never going through that again, okay? It's, uh, it's amazing to me. My wife's a tank when she gets sick, but I'm nauseous, and I'm like, I'm miserable, I'm whiny, you know, and I finally go to the doctor, and I'm like, look, I've been so nauseous, and I can't eat, and, you know, God forbid I lose weight kind of thing, you know, and so I was like, hey, can you give me something for my nausea? And so said, yeah, I can give you a prescription for it. I was like, great. And so I go to the pharmacy, and I get my prescription and I open it up, and it's a suppository. <laughs> and I look at this, and I was like, well, 
I guess I'm going to have to spend the week nauseous, okay? Because there's no way I'm using that. And um, if you're this morning, you're a kid, you're like, what's a suppository? Ask your parents, okay? So how is that going to tie into evangelism? Anyway, it's a funny story. Um, so this morning, we're starting a sermon series called On Evangelism. And now, if you're like me, you hear evangelism... You, 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 there's kind of a collective groan in the audience, right? Like, oh, what, what is Pastor Sean going to ask us to do, right? Um, like, are, 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 you know, is he really going to encourage me to open my mouth and talk about Jesus to people that don't know Jesus? I mean, is that, is that where this is going? Like, is he... Is he going to leave here today and pair me up with someone else and say, hey, listen, I want you to go door to door with your pamphlet and annoy people, you know, when they come to the door at dinner time, kind of, is that where this is going? And, and I know for me, man, when I hear the word evangelism, it, it, you know, for me, it's, it's kind of like the suppository. Like, I know it's probably good for me, but there's got to be another way, Right. That's how I tied it in. A lesser preacher would not have figured that out, but um, I hope I don't get fired. Um, so here's what I want to do today, right? I want to I frame evangelism. Uh, we're going to do eight weeks. The first three weeks are kind of um, framing, and then the final five weeks, we're going to talk about how Jesus shared the gospel, shared his, himself, really, you know, with, with those who didn't know him and how to connect with God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so today is kind of framing the series, all right? And, and, and our hope is to not only teach about evangelism, uh, but we're going to equip you. And, and we do want to equip you so that by the end of these eight weeks, you have some handles on, man, how can I share my faith with others? And so the first thing I want you to see, and we're start in Romans 1. I'm going to bounce around a lot this morning, but I want to start with this idea that ultimately God is the evangelist. So when we talk about evangelism, God is the one that brings and shares and completes the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we see this starting in Romans 1, where Romans 1, the apostle Paul talks about that the attributes of God are shown through nature. So before we even get to the Word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, there are things that every human being should know about God just by looking at creation. Now, it's not enough to save them, and theologians would call this general revelation, that there's certain things revealed about the nature of God that we at least should pause and go, man, there's a God. All right? And, and so Romans chapter 1, verse 19, the apostle Paul says, for what can be known about God is plain to them. Why? Because God's shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So Paul's saying, all of humanity is without excuse. Every person one day is going to stand before the God of the universe, give an account of their life, and they will have no excuse. They're not going to be able to look at God and go, well, I didn't know there was a God. I didn't know this day was coming. Because creation demands and, 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 and shouts at us that there is a God, and he is powerful, and he's divine, Right? And so when I'm talking to someone about the gospel of Jesus Christ, or when you're talking about, to someone about the gospel of Jesus Christ, you, you can assume God. Every person has God-sized question marks in their heart and in their life. Every person. Right? Like, man, well, how, it, basic ones. Like, how did I get here? 
right? How am I able to reason and think? And, 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 and since my life is just this thing that the Bible calls a vapor, right, 70 or 80 or 90 years, like I have this short, like, what are, why am I here? What are my purposes? These are, these are God-sized questions that are implanted in us because we look at creation. Now, some of you may be saying, well, Pastor, that doesn't make any sense because I know a lot of people that are atheists, or, or maybe you were blessed enough to go to a liberal arts school where there was one or two or nine professors that were spending all of your educational dollars both mocking God, making fun of Christianity, and, and trying to deny that the existence of God, even, that God even exists. Maybe, maybe you went to one of those schools, right, where you spent your hard-earned money hearing that for class after class. After class. Like, Pastor John, it's crazy. They're definitely atheists. Well, here's what happens. And Paul says this is why people may run around and attack Christianity and say that they're atheists. And it's in verse 21 of Romans 1. It says, for although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were, were darkened, claiming to be wise, they, be, they became fools. What Paul is saying is, in our sinful nature, we don't want to worship God, we don't want to honor God, and so what happens is our sin and our sinful thinking kind of begins to, to feed on itself, where we then become so clouded in our thinking that thinking somehow we're smarter than God himself, we literally become fools, Right? And, and listen, we're seeing, like we're kind of seeing in this culture, and I hinted at this last week, we talked about this a little bit last week, where, you know, here in our culture, man, Darwinism and evolutionary theory has so permeated the culture that it's left us without purpose. It's left us with these extreme anxieties, because if you're just a random set of accidents, if you just evolved out of gelatinous muck, and you only happen to be here because it's a lottery ticket that it happened, then, you know, then you have no purpose. It's survival, it literally is survival of the fittest, there's nothing special about humans. You just, you just evolved out of the gelatinous muck, and you might as well one-up each other. And so if all of that is true, then my goodness, you know, we are a people without purpose. We are people without hope. And certainly don't talk about morality. I mean, how are we even going to define morality if there's no God? And so become foolish in, in, in our thinking. And man, we are there as a culture, right? All the way down to the very basic thing of gender, like, we can't even talk about gender. I mean, if, if you're raising young men nowadays and you were to say something like, man, boys act like this and girls act like this, you say that nowadays, people think you're backwoods. Right? There's certain drop-down menus on certain social media sites when it says gender. There, I've heard there's like some places give you 50 selections. And we wonder why we can't even determine now how to use a bathroom. Why? Because we've, we've kicked God out of our thinking and sin has clouded our minds and claiming to somehow be wise now, we've just become fools. And so sin blinds our minds and hearts, but God speaks through creation. And by the way, like I, I've, I've done this so many times even this year, I'm hesitant to do it again, so I'm just going to summarize a little bit. But, you know, we should look at creation and, and, and be in wonder and be in awe. I mean, I could give the statistics on, you know, how, how close 
the earth is positioned to the sun perfectly. If it was a few miles this way, a few miles that way, we would burn up or we would freeze. And the angle of the earth is tilted precisely so that life can exist on this planet. If you've ever stared at the Grand Canyon and you just, if you, how you can look at the Grand Canyon or be on top of a mountain range and see mountains upon mountains or be at the bottom of a gigantic waterfall and, and, and watch a meteor shower or see an eclipse or watch a sunset or ever watch the miracle of a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. Or imagine this, right? Uh, Think about this. Like God takes the sperm of a man and connects it with the egg of a woman and out comes life. How? And in that life, in that human is this thing called a brain where God builds in from a sperm and an egg. He builds in an onboard computer that we can't even develop a computer nearly as intricate as the brain, which is made out of flesh and blood yet has electricity passing through it, right? It's incredible. And this human body is weaved together as God knits together in the womb each individual child. And, and each human body has 11 different systems of which now we have doctors that spend their whole life studying and specializing in each system, right? The digestive system and the, and the neurological system and the immune system and all respiratory and on and on it goes. Man, we're just, we're an intricately made. And we should be able to look at the creation of God and at least go, wow, Right? Like, I need to get to know him because he's creative. And so God speaks. There's some things he reveals about himself through nature, but it's not everything that we need to know. In order to know how to become a Christian or to be saved, there's other things we need to know. God speaks through his word. And so God does speak through his word. That's why each service, man, we set up the preaching of the word with like, hey, the, the singing time is, is a preparation time. We're, we're singing the Word of God. We're singing about God, truths about God, but we're also preparing our heart to hear the preached Word of God. Isaiah 55. And by the way, if you're here this morning and, and, and um, you got invited here by a friend or there's somebody in the community you've been inviting to church, like that's a good thing. Invite people to church. Why? It's, it's so that they'll hear the Word of God. The Word of God is supernatural. It changes people's hearts. Isaiah 55, the prophet Isaiah says, for the, for the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but they water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So my word be that it goes out from my mouth and it does not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which, it, which I purpose and shall succeed in the things which I sent it. Notice, he says, this is the water goes to the earth. It doesn't return back to the clouds, but rather it, it, you know, it, it gives life. That's what the Word of God does. So if, if you have a neighbor or a loved one or a friend or a co-worker and they're not yet believers, then inviting them to church is a great way to begin to have them hear the Word of God. And the Word of God begins to seep in our hearts and souls. And, you know, you guys know this as Christians. There's been times where maybe you're at a camp or here at Coastal or whatever, and you're privately reading the Word of God, and, and instead of you reading it, it's reading you, right? Or maybe you've been in a sermon where it's like the preacher's preaching and it's like everyone else around you is gone and it's like God himself is speaking to you. What is that? Because God speaks through his word. And then it transforms us and it changes. Our God is the evangelist and he does speak. And his word has a purpose. Number three, or letter C, God draws people to himself. At the end of the day, God's the evangelist. He draws people. John 6, 44. 
Look at this. It says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me does what, church? All right, let's do it. This is, this is, this is uh, where we interact, all right? No one can come to me unless the Father who sent him does what, church? Draws him. So if you're here this morning, you're a Christian. The God of the universe drew you in. Isn't that awesome? And by the way, man, that is great news because here's the deal. I remember at one point in my life, I remember one time telling God to leave me alone. I said, God, just leave me alone. And I am so thankful he didn't. I am so thankful he didn't. Man, if he would have left me to myself, who knows where my life would have ended up. God draws people to himself. God draws his elect. We, and, and in fact, as we get further on in a series on evangelism, I think a lot of times Christians don't open their mouths because I hear this a lot. People say, well, I'm afraid of saying the wrong thing, right? Listen, uplift Christ, uplift Christ, uplift Christ. God, when we uplift Christ, draws people to himself. We don't, we don't have to manipulate, and we don't have to cajole people, right? It doesn't, evangelism doesn't have to be like this emotional thing where, man, it's this fit of emotion. I, I make some decision. I, I remember years ago I went to, uh, I was a youth pastor before I came here uh, in the South, in Georgia, and um, they, there was this, this a conference in Georgia called the Youth Evangelism Conference, and, and I've never told you guys this story before, and and, uh, and so this, they had this evangelist, and this guy was a fantastic speaker, man, very gifted and funny and just gripping. And, and man, he was telling stories. He had all the students eating out of his hand. And, and man, and then it was thousands of kids there at this conference. And then he finishes his sermon with this. He said, now listen, if you're not 100% sure that you're a Christian, I want you to hear this story. And then he tells the story. He said, I had a friend of mine who was a pastor his whole life, and as he was on his deathbed in the hospital dying, he screamed out, I'm burning in hell. I'm burning in hell. And then he looked at the student and he said, if you're not 100% sure that you're a Christian, you need to come down right now and get saved, get right with God. And I'm like, I'm there you know, and I led the charge, you know, like I was so scared in that moment, like I got to be a hundred percent sure, I've never really done the percentage thing, you know, but like I'm sure, but you know, a hundred and the kids were streaming forward and I'm telling you, this guy arrogantly pronounced as he, as these kids were streaming forward, he arrogantly pronounced, he said, I told my elders at my church we were going to have thousands of kids saved today and they didn't believe me, but look at this, I never took my kids back to that conference. That's, that's manipulative. Now listen, we preach the truth, and we, at Coastal, we open the book, and we preach the truth, and we, we, don't, we don't sugarcoat it, we don't sidestep it. The truth is the truth, and the truth will set people free. We do, but, but listen, at the end of the day, man, we lift up Christ, and God the Father draws people to himself. We do not have to, we don't have to manipulate it, all right? In fact, sometimes for me, honestly, and I've been, doing, I've been preaching a long time, man, and I can tell when there's a, an emotional mood in here. And sometimes I'm even a little hesitant to go, hey, let's come forward, because I want it to be more than emotion. I do want your commitment to be Christ to be serious. Jesus said, Ben, before you build a building, you count the cost, right? So I do want you to count the cost. If you, you know, to be a Christian means God, you're saying to God, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have everything, all of me, yes? I want you to count that cost, Right? 
And so God, we lift up Christ, God draws people to himself. Letter D or number four, okay, Jesus is the seeker and the saver of the lost. So we're, we're in this context, the umbrella of God is the evangelist. He sent his son Jesus, who's the seeker and savior of the lost. Luke 19 is in the story of Zacchaeus, where Zacchaeus becomes a Christian, and Jesus says today, said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham, verse 10, for the son of man came to do what, church? Seek and save the lost. Jesus is the seeker. Jesus is the Savior. John chapter 3, verse 16, hopefully you know this, right? At least the first verse of John three sixteen. If you don't have this memorized, great verse to memorize, but you really got to see it all in context, right? For God so loved the world that he gave, what did he give? His only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Now let's look at it in context. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Let's stop there for a minute, all right? What do we call Christmas from a theological standpoint? We call it Advent, right? How many of y'all have ever heard it called Advent? Advent means coming, right? And so Jesus came the first time to seek and to save and to bring the good news. He is coming, or what we might call a second Advent or a second coming. What is happening at the second coming? Anybody? Judgment, right? And so what John's saying is, look, we have this opportunity called life from the first coming to the second coming to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, let me preach that those of you who may be visiting this morning are not yet Christians. This is your opportunity here on this time called life to repent of your sin and believe in the person and work of Christ that you might be saved from the penalty of your just penalty of sin by believing in Jesus. You have this thing called life. God loved you. He loved you so much, man. He sent his son to die in your stead, rise again, that you might have the hope of eternal life. That is the good news. And he lived a perfect life, and by grace through faith, that perfect, his perfect righteousness is credited to us, not earned. It's given. But the second coming is judgment, right? Verse 18, for whoever believes, uh, uh, no, let's go back to 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Verse 19, and this is judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, man, at the end of the day, we love darkness. We love sin. In the second coming, when the second advent, we will be judged on this, whether we believe on belief or unbelief. Did we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ or did we not believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ? And why don't people repent of their sins and believe in Jesus? Because they love their darkness rather than the light. Belief or unbelief. And by the way, did you ever notice when it comes to lifting up Jesus, how controversial Jesus is? He's very controversial, especially in our culture. It's growing, right? You, you can talk about God, talk about God, and Christians, Jews, and Muslims will all nod their head and kind of import their own beliefs about God. But you talk about Jesus, especially as more than a good prophet, teacher, if you talk to him about the Son of God, God in flesh dwelt among us, you talk about that, man, it gets really weird, it's really controversial. My son, um, this summer made a um, made a really kind of really nice golf tournament. He qualified, played well, and qualified for this golf tournament. It was the um, they took uh, fifteen or sixteen kids from the state of Virginia and fifteen or sixteen kids from the state of Maryland, and they did like a Ryder Cup format uh, golf tournament, which was really cool. And uh, man, it really treated these kids nice. And so they had a banquet 
uh, from Saturday night. So the tournament was, Friday, was Saturday and Sunday, and then um, Saturday night was a banquet where they honored the kids. And so we had, I was sitting next to my son, and there was a whole bunch of us. Our family was here watching the tournament on Saturday, and there was a rain delay, and we're sitting in the rain delay. And during the rain delay, the, um, the coach that's coaching the Virginia team uh, was, was going to bring each kid up indiv- individually and um, honor them at the banquet. And so he asked each of the kids, hey, what do you, what's one thing you would want people to know about you? And so he got to my kid, and I was like, oh, my goodness, what is he going to say, you know? And he says, uh, he says, what do you want people to know about you? And he says, just tell people I love Jesus. It got so awkward really fast. You could see this coach like, what am I going to do with this? And, he, and so he looks at my son and he goes, well, how about if I just tell him you love Scripture? And Josh is like, say what you want, I guess. And so, uh, so I ended up not going to the banquet, but um, apparently at the banquet, he gets up, brings Josh up, and the coach has said, um, yeah, and this is Josh, and he loves Scripture. And he says, actually, coach, I said I love Jesus. And so he just <laughs> left it at that. So, good for him. But, man, we, we introduce Jesus, man, it gets awkward, right? People don't know what to do with that. And we're supposed to introduce Jesus, but Jesus is ultimately the seeker and the saver of the lost. Number, letter E, number five, right, is, so I hope you see the, the Trinitarian nature of evangelism, right? The Father draws, the Son seeks and saves, and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, actually changes the heart. And so in John chapter 3, which, by the way, I just read John three sixteen, right, which talks at the end, Verse 20 of John 3.20 talks about how man loved darkness rather than light. So if mankind loves darkness rather than the light, man, how are we saved? How can we change, right? Well, the change is the work of the Spirit, which Jesus actually talks about at the beginning of John chapter 3. He's dealing with Nicodemus. And I pulled out the NLT here because I really like how the NLT translates verse 6, okay? And so it says, John 3.3, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you need, Nicodemus asked. How can an old man go back in his mother's room and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. Humans can only reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Listen, the conversion of a heart where a person is in darkness and now they come to the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, the Father draws, the Son seeks and saves, the Holy Spirit converts. The Holy Spirit does the actual work, does the miraculous work. Even, even Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, right? A lot of y'all have Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 memorized. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourself. It is the gift of God, right? And a lot of times I think we read that verse and we say the it being the gift of God we think is grace. But actually in the original language it's very, very clear. It's actually referring to faith. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. The faith itself is a gift of God. If you're here this morning, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's because God has gr- gifted you by his grace with faith. Isn't that awesome? And so, man, the Spirit is the one that converts. 
And so God is the evangelist. God is speaking. He, he's announcing himself and his, some of his attributes through nature. He, 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 the particulars that we need to know to be saved, he's given us through his word and through his son. And, 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 and he, he, God, is seeking and saving the lost by sending his son, Jesus Christ. And God is saving the lost from beginning to end, all the way to glorification to eternal life through the power of the Holy Spirit, which now brings it to us. So what's our responsibility? What's our responsibility in all this? And so if God is the evangelist, here's the good news, ready? His means of spreading this incredibly, incredible, miraculous, eternity-changing message of the gospel is you and I. We're the means of bringing the message. And so God's the seeker, God's the saver, but we get to be a part. Listen, why are you, if you're here today and you're a Christian and God's got eternity for you, why are you still here? Why don't he just rapture you into heaven and be done with it? You're here to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're here to be a part of what God is doing. And I'm going to tell you something. That's incredible to be a part of that. It's a gift. It's a blessing. Your purpose, once you become a believer, is to be a part of heralding the gospel of Jesus. We get to join God in the work of evangelism. That's point number two. We get to join God in the work of evangelism. Now, let me define evangelism. Evangelism is this, teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. Teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. Now, let me park on the word teaching for a minute. You could, you could substitute the word heralding. Pastor Joey uses that word a lot. I love that word, heralding the gospel means bringing good news, proclaiming the gospel. And the gospel is the idea of the message that God saves sinners through the person and work of His Son, Jesus Christ, with the aim to persuade. Now, this morning, what I want to do is I wanna, I'm going to talk about two things, and we're going to conclude with, I want to give us some handles of where we're going to start this morning, okay? So the first thing is, God invites us to join Him in the work that He's already doing. How are we invited? Number one, we're invited to pray. We get to pray for people. We get to pray for people. 1 Timothy 2, Paul says this, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead, that they, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. In this, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Paul says we get to pray for all all kinds of people, all classes of people, that they might know Christ. Colossians chapter 4, we just looked at this a couple weeks ago. Paul, I actually preached this up in um, Gloucester, so I didn't get to address the Yorktown campus, but Paul says this in Colossians 4 verse 2, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, here's what Paul says, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. By the way, where is Paul writing this from? And what doesn't he pray for? Get me out of prison. God, this is really hard. Please pray that the suffering will go away. What does he pray for? That I may have opportunity and I may have the words to speak the gospel, which is the mystery of Christ. 
So when you go to the doctor and the doctor says, man, you've got cancer. Should we pray for healing? Of course. But the bulk of our prayer should be, God, use the suffering that I'm going through to uplift the gospel. When you're raising teenagers and it gets really hard, it's not a, hey, God, just make sure these kids turn out right, man, they're getting on my nerves. How about praying, God, save their soul. God, I want to give me the words to speak so I can speak the life of the gospel into my children and into my neighbor and into my co- Everything that God gives us in this life, even the difficulties, are opportunities to say, God, help me spread the gospel. If our prayers would change like that, I believe that the gospel would go forward in ways we've never even seen before on our peninsula. And we're too busy praying, like, make, God, just make it easy for me. Instead of, God, I want to pray for the gospel to go forward above all else. And secondly, we're invited to speak the gospel. We're invited to speak. How many of you have ever heard the saying, I, wanna, I want you to raise your hand on this one. How many of you have ever heard the saying, always share the gospel if necessary, use words? How many have heard that saying? Okay, so... That saying, and I understand what it's talking about, about being kind, being loving, and all those things are important, but that saying implies that maybe you don't have to open your mouth to share the gospel. You do. Okay, we, there are things a person has to know in order to be a Christian. And by the way, how many of you, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, how many of you, uh, just rhetorical, how many of you feel like, man, I'm not equipped to, I don't know how to do that. Like, I want to know how to, I don't even know where to begin. If, if I had to, if I'm talking to someone about spiritual things, I wouldn't even know how to share the gospel. If that's you, listen, I got really good news for you. Over the next eight weeks, we're going to equip you, okay? We're going to show you how to do that. Each of the pastors are going to say, here's one of the tools that I use to share the gospel so that it's clear, okay? So that we as a body of Christ are equipped to share the gospel, but we are invited to speak. We have to open our mouths and talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of the passages of Scripture is a long passage. I run the risk when I read it, okay? so I hope you stay with me. Uh, years ago, man, this, this jumped out at me, and it reminded me of what my role is in, in the work of evangelism, that God's the evangelist, but I get to join him in that. And it's Ezekiel 33. And Ezekiel 33, let me give you a little context, is that God is telling the prophet Ezekiel that he's a, he's a watchman on a wall. So in Bible times, in Old Testament times, if you are, uh, lived in a wealthy city, your city would have walls around. It'd be a walled city. And that way, if uh, an enemy attacked your city, all the farmers living outside the wall would rush inside the walls of the city in order to find safety, okay? And so God told Ezekiel, hey, your job is to be a watchman on the wall. You're, and so, like, so the watchman would be up high on the wall on a watchtower, and if he saw an enemy coming in, he'd blow his trumpet, right? And then the people out in, in, the, in the fields would have an opportunity to respond to the warning that, hey, some, uh, an enemy is coming against the city. And here's, what, here's Ezekiel 33. I'll just look at this and let the word sink in, okay? The word of the Lord came to me. He said, Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, If I bring the sword upon the land and the people of the land take a man from among them and make him their watchman. So in other words, he's saying, 
sword comes against the land, there's a watchman on the wall. And if he sees the sword coming upon the land, and he blows the trumpet, and he warns the people, then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take the warning, and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. Why? Because he heard the sound of the trumpet, and he did not take warning, and so his blood shall be upon himself. So stop there, right? He says to Ezekiel, you're the watchman, you blow the trumpet, they hear the trumpet, they don't respond, it's their problem right? You did what you were supposed to do. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. Verse 6, but if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes any one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hands. So you, son of man, have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth and shall give them warning for me, and if I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person will die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked and turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. What's Ezekiel's job? Announce the word. Yes? Just announce the word. It's a, it's, say what's coming. And so here's the deal, Church. I really believe this. We've, we've been positioned as watchmen. That's all we are. What's our part in evangelism? We're watchmen. You're, you're on mission this morning. You're, you're a missionary. If you're here this morning, you're a Christian. You've been saved by the gospel, by God's grace. He's gifted you with faith. You believe. You have abundant life. You have eternal life. You're growing in Christ. So why'd God leave you here? He, leave, he left you here to be a watchman. We've got to open our mouths. This is a role that we need to take seriously. I think most of us as Christians, I, th- I think part of the, the scourge of the American church is we are not opening our mouths to share the gospel. Now listen, it's not our job to make a heart soft. And we're going to give you some handles on how do you make a transition statement to get towards spiritual things in everyday life. But Listen, you make a transition to spiritual things and a person doesn't want to talk, you don't have to talk to them. Their heart's not ready, right? But, I man, we need to be looking for opportunities, and we need to be equipped to share the gospel. And we're going to help equip you. Are you ready for some relief? Here's the relief part. Ready? Here's the relief part. You don't save people. God saves people. God saves people. He does it through the power of the Holy Spirit when we lift up Christ, when we warn of the condition of man, when we remind of the character of God, and we point to God's ordained means of salvation, which is what? Repentance and faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And when we do that, the Holy Spirit saves people from beginning to end. That's the work of God. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to wrap this up with a very practical thing we're going to do this morning. I've been a Christian for a long, long time. I was very, very blessed to grow up in a Christian home. Great Christian parents drug me to church every week. I'm thankful for that. Um, times I didn't want to go, they made me come, and God used that. I've I've done all the things that American Christian culture has to offer, man. I've done... I've done the camps 
in the retreats, in the movies, and the Christian comedians. I've done the missions trips. I attend corporate worship probably 50 times out of a year, okay? I mean, all of that. And I can assure you, I can assure you, there is no joy on earth like God allowing you to be a part of spiritual rebirth. And when you get to talk to someone and you... You're sharing the gospel, and you watch God do the miraculous where their heart is softened, and there's this spiritual awakening where they're understanding the gospel, they understand their sin, they understand their rebellion, they understand that God substituted His one and only Son, they understand how much they're loved by God in Christ, and you watch that. Man, there is no joy on earth like getting to be a part of that. I'm just telling you, it's amazing, and it's a gift. And so here we go this morning, okay? We're going to conclude with this this morning. Everybody get this little card out. So I want you to get the card out. I want you to get your three post-it notes out. This is going to be the conclusion. We're not even going to, we're going to, there's going to be music playing. Worship team, you can come up if you'd like. Uh, but we're not going to go out singing this morning. We're going to go out um, with some handles on evangelism. I want us to begin as a church to pray for three people. Just pray. And so I want you to get this card out, okay? Everybody get this? It's in your grow booklet. And I want you to use this as a bookmark or put it somewhere where you'll be reminded. I want you to list three people that, to your knowledge, maybe they're already Christians, you just don't know it. But to your knowledge, you don't know if they're Christians. And I want you to begin to pray for them. It could be a child. It could be a parent. It could be a grandparent. It could be a neighbor, a coworker, a restaurant where you frequent the place, right? And the person waits on you each week. I just want you to begin to pray by name. I have, I have, uh, I have this is going back away. I brought my Bible. Um, I have one on my, on my Bible, okay? And I've got several names on here. I've got another prayer sheet that I carry around my car. It's got even some other names. So I probably pray for eight or ten people uh, that, to my knowledge, don't know Christ. And I pray for them, and I pray for them, and I pray for them. Okay? And so I want us to begin to pray. Okay? And then what I want you to do is take the three names that you have here, and I want you to transfer them onto the post-it notes. One per post-it note. All right? And, and, but on these, let's not get creepy and weird because these are going to get public, okay? So on these, instead of going John Smith, just put my neighbor or my neighbor John or uncle, my uncle or my grandparents. Does that make sense, okay? And then what we're going to do with these is we're going to put them on the prayer wall, okay? And we're going to put these on the prayer wall and we're going to leave these prayer walls. We're going to put these somewhere. We haven't figured out exactly what we're going to do with them just yet, but they're going to be around to remind us to be praying for people that don't know Christ, Okay? And our hope is, and we'll leave them up for maybe a year-ish, okay? And our hope is, over the next year, you can come up and take your post-it note down as we see some people come to Christ. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be cool? Okay, that would be cool. Okay, I was like, huh. Okay, and so these are going to be around, and, and our hope is that we can put, and we're going to put some of them in a book and remind ourselves what God did starting with prayer this morning, okay? And so we're going to pray over these folks, and we're going to see God move, and we're going to see God work. And so I want to put this on your mind. As you pray, okay, we have some huge cultural opportunities. So as Christmas comes around, and we equip you with an invite card, you need to invite the three people you've been praying for, Yes? 
Or as Easter comes around, Easter's a natural. People, for whatever reason in our culture, think they're supposed to go to church on Easter. Great. You invite the three people you're praying for, and we're going to share the gospel here. Let's see if God, Spirit, Word, coupled, changes a heart, yes, as we begin to pray. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to close the service by praying over these cards, okay? And I'm going to ask the worship team to pray light, play lightly right now. Okay, we're going to pray. And then as you're dismissed, I want you to come up with your post notes. I want you to put them on the prayer wall and then make your way out this morning as we go coastal, okay? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, on these cards are people. People that we care about. There's some, there's some parents on these cards. There's some, some grandparents on these cards. There's some children on these cards. There's some there's a neighbor, a coworker, an old roommate. There's people on these cards and you you love them. You sent your son to die for them. God, you've placed us in their life to be, to be watchmen on the wall, to declare the truth, to be on mission. You've put them in our circle of influence for a reason, God. There's no, it's not an accident that we know them. It's not an accident that we have the relationship with them that we do. So God, as we do this eight-week journey, we want it to be more than an eight-week journey. We want it to be a lifestyle. We want to see these people saved, God. We want to see these people followers of Christ, God. We're begging for their soul, Lord. That we would have opportunity, that we would be intentional about opportunity to declare the good news of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, God, we begin with prayer. God, there's going to be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of post-it notes on this wall, God. I, it would be amazing, God, to see hundreds of these come down. God, our culture needs a revival desperately. We need the lost to be found, God. It's not being found in the schools. It's not being found in the educational system. It's not being found in politics. Man, it is being found in Christ and Christ alone. So we want to exalt Christ in the people that we know. We want to be on mission, God. We want to open our mouths. We want to be the watchman. But today we begin with prayer. God, we ask that you would soften the hearts of men so that when we present the gospel, we have that opportunity to invite. They would be open. They would be welcome. That God, by your grace, we might get to be a part of spiritual rebirth how awesome that would be. We thank you for the opportunity. We pray with expectation. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.